Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. And may the Holy Spirit guide us into all your truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I've chosen Psalm 110 for the main point of this message, just because for me, I've been blessed as I've been studying this psalm for the last month or so. And I hope also that you will be encouraged um, uh, in what I'll share. Uh, the psalm is very short, but it's packed full of um, probably at least five sermons, but uh, uh, it, it really uh, emphasizes the important roles and offices of Christ the Messiah. And so that's why I've entitled it Jesus the Messiah King. And the last part of my sermon, I want to talk about his people and their response, uh, which also comes out of the Psalm. First of all, this is one of the Psalm that is most frequently uh, quoted and used uh, in the New Testament. And Christ himself quotes the first verse of the Psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Um, and this he quotes in a discussion with the Pharisees in uh, Matthew 22. And in that chapter, the Pharisees are trying to entrap him in something he might say. And they try several things without success. And this is their last attempt. Um, and so I just want to read a few verses, uh, verses 41 to 45. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This psalm also is quoted by Peter um, in his famous uh, sermon on, Pen to, on Pentecost as people are witnessing uh, the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit. And he uses it to explain uh, Christ's resurrection, um, ascension into heaven and subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just read a few verses from that. Acts 2, verses 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw saw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Of course, this is Psalm 16 he's quoting here. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So we see this Psalm already being used as a proof text of the Messiahship and the true identity of Christ. Now I just want to uh, return to the, the text itself and just make a few comments. Verse one, the Lord uh, God says to my Lord, this first word Lord is actually the word that's used for Yahweh. Um, and he says to my Lord, but this word is actually another word in Hebrew, which um, means uh, it's Adoni or the sovereign Lord. And this is understood to be a person equal in authority to Yahweh. Um, and so most scholars have represented uh, have recognized this to refer to the Messiah or, or God's anointed one. And he tells him, sit at my right hand. That is, Yahweh is inviting the Messiah to a position of equal authority and power at his right hand. Um, anyone that sits at the right hand of someone has equal authority and power um, as it was recognized um, in the ancient world. And he sits at his right hand until Yahweh makes your enemies a footstool for your feet or puts your enemy, your enemies under your feet. That is, the Messiah is to sit at his right hand until his victory is complete. Verse 2, the Lord will stretch out your strong scepter or the scepter of your strength from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. This is a command to the Messiah to extend his rule or his kingdom, not only in Zion, but beyond to the whole world. He has the power and authority to rule even in the midst of his enemies. Indeed, Jesus' final words to his disciples as recorded in Matthew 28 repeats this idea. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Christ's scepter has the power of subduing his enemies, but there is also the possibility that his power may also subdue hearts to win them over so that he can rule over them, the idea of conversion and transformation of enemies to friends. Now I want to move on to verse four, which again is explaining more about the roles and functions of the Messiah before I Return to verse three, where I'll spend more time. Verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Yahweh is speaking here about Christ the Messiah, who he has also made a priest, but not a priest after the priestly order of Aaron, as were the high priests of the Old Testament. No, Christ is a priest like Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? He's this rather mysterious figure mentioned in Genesis 14, described as a priest of the Most High and King of Salem, which translated means righteousness or peace. 
And what I want to point out to you is the parallels between Christ and Melchizedek that we can glean. First of all, this priesthood is not based on genealogy like that of Aaron. They had to trace their heritage in order uh, to serve as priests, but not Melchizedek. It is an eternal priesthood. You are a priest forever. Christ is also the king of righteousness and peace because he has offered himself up as the sacrifice that brought God's peace to us through his blood. And like Abraham who gave Melchizedek a tenth of his spoils, we offer homage to him for what he has done for us. And because Christ's priesthood is eternal, he always lives to intercede for us at the right hand of God. The book of Hebrews speaks at length about Christ being declared by God to be a priest like Melchizedek, especially in Hebrews 7, if you want to read it. But now I want to return to verse 3, which talks about the people who respond to God and the Messiah that is being described in this psalm. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power. Another translation, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. King James, thy people shall be willing in the day of your power. As we recall the last line of verse two, which comes just before this, Yahweh says to the Messiah, rule in the midst of your enemies. It's true that his sovereign power permits him to rule over his enemies, but now we become aware that he will not only rule over his enemies, he will also have a vast company of loyal people who are willing, who will offer themselves freely, who will volunteer to follow him in the day of his power as he musters his army and calls his people into service. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, and in what manner will they do that? In holy array, or as we read, in holy garments, or other translations, in the splendor of holiness. And then from the womb of the dawn or the morning, your youth are to you as dew. I want to now unpack in more detail the meaning and impact of this verse for us as followers of Christ. Note a few details about these people who volunteer freely in the day of God's power in verse three. First, they are willing recruits or soldiers. There are no mercenaries. They are volunteers. The word used to describe them as volunteers also has the idea in Levitical law as free will offerings. Here we have the idea of their consecration and offering themselves freely to God's service. Secondly, these soldiers are also priests clothed in holy garments in holy array, the beauty of holiness, such as the holy attire that priests would wear in temple service. Thirdly, they are compared to as youth and as the dew of the morning. Dew is highly prized as a source of moisture for vegetation, especially in arid areas like Israel and the Middle East. Dew is produced overnight, almost invisibly by an unseen power. Dew also produces an infinite number of droplets 
which coat each blade of grass, reflecting the morning sunlight, bringing beauty to those who see it. So the comparison here is that this company of volunteers will also be a vast number that emerge under the influence of an invisible divine power, bringing both spiritual refreshment and beauty to a weary parched earth. In our first reading from the book of Ruth, we see a concrete example of a willing volunteer. Ruth is not only willing to go with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and help her, she is willing to give herself to Naomi's God, the God of Israel, forsaking other gods and her family. What is the result? Well, if we read the rest of the book, she marries their kinsman Boaz and becomes the grandmother of David and ultimately part of the line of the Messiah. She also is a source of refreshment and encouragement to Naomi who had lost her husband and her two sons and even describes herself as bitter. Naomi is a blessing to her. So she refreshes her as she volunteers. And in our reading from Galatians 5, we see the qualities of those who yield themselves to the Holy Spirit and constantly depend upon him. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what are the characteristics of those who are willing volunteers of the Messiah King Jesus? First, cheerful devotion. They are not constrained. They are joyfully willing. Secondly, they display their clothing has something of God's holiness as they are led by the Holy Spirit and rely on him. Thirdly, they are consecrated to God to serve him. They are free will offerings. Fourthly, they allow themselves to be shaped and moved by the will of God. They are willing to let their thoughts and purposes become what is God's purposes and let it be fulfilled in and through them. God is at work in them both to work and to will for his good purposes. Then there is God's leading, but no sense of strong force or compulsion. The Holy Spirit leads and draws, but does not destroy the liberty of the person's will. He makes the person willing and glad to do God's will. And what's the result of the willingness of God's volunteers? First, they are like the dew of the morning. Their presence may at first seem imperceptible, almost out of sight. But just as the dew brings a beautiful covering that reflects the sun's light over each blade of grass, so God's volunteers bring gladness, refreshment, and encouragement to a dry, weary world, eager for goodness and a sense of beauty and meaning. Secondly, they bring beauty into the world by their goodness and holiness. People trust them because they are good and truthful. Thirdly, their gentleness and patience may win over those who have been hardened by life's ills. Fourthly, their willingness to do God's will, to do his bidding, puts them on God's side, under his protection, but also upheld by his power. 
Their prayers become effective and powerful as they also intercede for God's will to be done in the world as God's priest in this world. Let us pray that we also may be filled with God's Holy Spirit and that we may yield ourselves to his will so that we can also become part of God's vast company of volunteers alive and present in this world, though perhaps hidden from the limelight. Though they may not fill the pages of great human history, yet all these volunteers, each one is known and treasured by God. God's church and God's Holy Spirit will constantly renew itself through these willing recruits. And may we all be found among them. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of this Messiah who has all authority and yet gave himself for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that works in us and gives us the desire to follow this Messiah and this King. Lord, may you remove all obstacles. May you move in our being and transform us so that we also may become part of the great army in this world of your willing uh, volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.